Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts. This is Karen, and this is Kathy. Today we are discussing episode forty-six of the story of Minglan or Zhi Fou. Zhi Fou Ying Shu Lu Fei Hong Shou. The podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas dot com. Also, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. As we usually do, we will start off with a drama episode recap. Then today we will talk about、uh, the families described in the drama. We will do some historical analysis and then close off with some book differences. Okay, let's begin. In the last episode, our main character Sheng Minglan and her husband Gu Tingye teamed up on a little auditing excursion to survey their properties. It would seem that those activities piqued the interest of some rather powerful people. So let's see what happens. We left off the last episode with Minglan and the younger sister of the Empress Xiao Shenshi heading to the palace to greet the Empress herself. Minglan is understandably nervous, but here we are. At the entrance, though, a senior eunuch intercepts the two women and invites them to the Empress Dowager's residence instead. The two women are surprised and definitely anxious. Xiao Shenshi warns that the Empress Dowager is not a woman to be trifled with. Well, her words are, "The Empress Dowager doesn't like me nor my sister. I get lectured every time she sees me." <laughs> That's unfortunate. We know that it's not going to be an easy audience with the Empress Dowager, and sure enough, right off the bat, when Minglan and Xiao Shenshi arrive, the Empress Dowager begins with the brilliant idea of. "Quote unquote," gifting two of her maids to the emperor. These maids, of course, would enter the palace as concubines. What happens next is a rather fascinating conversation. So we'll spend a lot of time on it because it perfectly displays the、uh, power dynamics of the four women in the room, and actually, I would say the capabilities of the women in the room. The Empress Dowager's reasoning for gifting these women is that she wants to keep these women in the palace so that they come, they can come visit her often. Why would the Empress Dowager do this? If these maids gained favor, they would rise in the ranks as concubines and effectively act as spies for her. The Empress Dowager wants to consolidate power, and these concubines would weaken the Empress. If one bore a son. Who knows what could happen in the future? Maybe one could even seize the throne. The Empress immediately deflects with two ready-made excuses. Number one, the Emperor is getting on in age, and number two, the Emperor wants to reduce staff at the palace. The first reason is relatively weak because, well, when has age really ever stopped men before、uh, from having more concubines? But、especially emperors, right? But the second reason stops the Empress Dowager in her tracks. If word gets out that the Empress Dowager gifts concubines to the emperor, 
which is an added expense, that could stain her reputation as someone who isn't frugal. You can see kind of the small huff the Empress Dowager not so subtly displays. She's annoyed that this avenue didn't work, so she immediately aims her ire to the other two women in attendance. I don't think the Empress Dowager was seriously considering having these ladies serve the Emperor. The real targets are Xiao Shenshi and, of course, Ming Lan. The Empress Dowager offers her maids to their husbands and Shen Guojiu, the Empress's younger brother. The word in Chinese that the Empress Dowager uses is ling, or take. It's like as if they're just property and you just go ahead, take one. This act is even more despicable if you think about it. The Empress Dowager intends to use these mains to drive a wedge between the marriages of the Emperor's right-hand men. These maids, if they enter as concubines, would have a special status in any household. The men have to sleep with these maids. They also can't be punished or treated like a normal concubine. They effectively represent the Empress Dowager, and should any uh, mistreatment occur, they would incur the wrath of the Empress Dowager. If these concubines bore sons, the madam of the family would have the added struggle of dealing with these sons competing with her own. Historically, emperors and kings have gifted women to generals and officials, and it usually doesn't end well for the original marriage. And we'll see later in this episode what happens when people gift women to other people. Like her sister, Xiao Shenshi tries to plead against this gift. Her reasoning? The maids are too precious. They came from the palace, and how could they enter their households as uh, they are? Are they concubines or servants? How should we treat them? I will note that a lot of what Kathy just explained is behind-the-scenes reasoning. We never hear of this in the drama, but it's reasonable that we assume this is pretty much what uh, would happen if... Minglan and Xiao Shenshi ended up with those maids as concubines. In any case, the Empress Dowager dismisses the excuse that her maids are too precious. They aren't. Just some palace maids. I just want to find a place that they will have a proper madam for them. The Empress Dowager, seeing that no one is really saying anything, doubles down and tells Minglan and Xiao Shenshi to Take more of these maids. Notice, Ming Lan doesn't say anything. She just has a smile on her face. The Empressager notices and sort of tries to pick a fight. She asks, what is so funny? Ming Lan responds that this is such a coincidence. We were planning on several weddings in our household too. This piques the Empressager's interest. What additional weddings? Minglan explains that her husband, mind you, she hides behind her husband. It's not her idea. It's always her husband's idea that uh, her husband is going to be sending soldiers to the front lines in order to help appease some of these soldiers concerned or make them ready for battle. It would be helpful to for them to bring their families. But many of the young men are unmarried. And so Gu Tingye is thinking of selecting a couple of maids in the family that are also unmarried to matchmake. If any of them seem like a good match, 
they will be wed immediately. Such a coincidence that their ideas match the Empress Dowager's. Xiao Shenshu jumps up to respond that this is such a great idea. The Empress, however, stops her sister. These maids come from the palace. How can they marry such a lowly servant? Funnily enough, the Empress Dowager uses that excuse to deny this request too. These soldiers do not deserve my maids. Um, weren't you the one who just said earlier that these women were simply palace maids and not actually that precious? Minglan continues, there are also many single rising captains in the army. If these maids married one of them and their husbands earned medals and promotions, why, these maids may also earn such honors. It'll be much better than being someone's concubine. The implication here is that these women would marry as wives, not concubines, as the Empress Dowager's original plan. You see the camera cut to the two maids standing and waiting. They're also interested at this prospect. Before the Empress Dowager says anything else, though, the Empress chimes in that the previous emperor had intended to cut staff before he passed, so this is an excellent solution for all. Well, the Empress Dowager doesn't have anything else to say at this and haughtily agrees. After all, the Empress brought up the previous deceased emperor. What else can she say? Before leaving, though, the Empress Dowager explicitly dumps this task on Minglan, who will now have to match these mates. Let's give a round of applause to the MVPs of this conversation. First is, of course, Minglan. This is Minglan's first time meeting the Empress Dowager. Her best armor was to act dumb and not say anything. She learned this skill quite well at the Sheng family, so she used it to full effect here. If the Empress Dowager knew that Milan was quite intelligent and quick on her feet, she probably would not have made such a blatant request to Milan. Look at Xiao Shenshi. Xiao Shenshi didn't have a good reason to deny the maids, and it was almost a done deal that she would have had to take these maids home. Minglan, though, simply smiled, and it was the Empress Dowager who initiated the ask of what Minglan was smiling about. Minglan's idea, while brilliant, would have had a very different effect if she jumped up and said, oh, I have a better idea. Let's marry these maids to uh, these soldiers. The Empress Dowager would have found many excuses to dismiss this. This also gets to our second MVP of uh, the conversation, which is actually the Empress. Notice how the Empress was smiling and serene in this entire scene. Does she remind us of a certain Empress? <laughs> this Empress didn't miss a single beat when the Empress Dowager mentioned adding people to the Emperor's harem. She was able to defy this request with relative ease. The drama, uh, the show that is, kept showing shots of the Empress glancing at the Empress Dowager for her reaction. That is where the genius of the Empress is shown. She knows when to capture or knows how to read the room. And with that, the Empress was able to immediately seize Minglan's idea and essentially force the Empress Dowager into agreeing. The Empress here, as we see, is on another level. Xiao Shenshi, by comparison, is quite the novice. 
Okay, I also personally don't think the background music here was very good. It seemed a little bit too jovial. Yes, I guess Milan was smiling, but this was a very serious situation. And the music made it seem like it was more trivial uh, than it was. Outside of the palace, Ming Lan is surprised to see Gu Tingye waiting for her. He's surprised to see all the women in tow. But after hearing the background from her, he is actually quite excited at the turn of events. I personally find Ming Lan's silly smile at him saying, uh, she's probably caused him some more trouble, rather adorable. She's like, I think I caused you some trouble and like smiles with a, I don't know, like just a silly grin. At home, though, the couple privately discuss the fact that uh, court won't be peaceful anymore. In this first round against the Empress Dowager, Ming Lan most certainly held her own quite well. Ming Lan knows this, the Empress Dowager knows this, and the Empress knows this. Both ladies in the palace are now aware that Ming Lan is not someone to be pushed around. Now we continue with a focus on court, since Ming Lan's home life is more or less sorted out. Our emperor, Song Yingzong, is ruling over court matters. His prime minister, Han Qi, raises that while they have made significant progress in eliminating rebels participating in the coup, per episode 36, the emperor should conduct a thorough investigation to rid everyone involved, or at least identify the folks involved that are still remaining in the capital. The emperor agrees readily, but before Han Qi is able to recommend someone, the empress dowager interjects. She has a person in mind of her own, and it is none other than Qi Hong. He is now a Yu Shi, or an imperial censor. The Empress Dowager is sitting behind the Emperor and is opining on court affairs. We have not talked about this in Empresses in the Palace, but it is something that has frequently happened in Chinese history. This is called Chui Lian Ting Zheng, which we will elaborate on at the end of the, uh, or after the episode recap. This is the first real instance that we on this podcast see the Empress Dowager doing or like opining on court affairs, but she is also currently undermining the emperor. Qi Hong steps forward. He's wearing a teal outfit, which implies he's at a rather low rank, or at least currently lower than Gu Tingye's rank. Qi Hong suggests taking a highly thorough and rather unforgiving view of anyone involved with the rebel prince by looking at accounting books so anyone the prince interacted with should be brought in for questioning. Prime Minister Han Qi doesn't think this is necessarily the right method, as there should be solid evidence before people are brought in for questioning. But Qi Hong rebukes this and is like, you know what? I don't care. We should be unforgiving and purge all of the people who are involved. He wants people to be punished rather heavily. The Empress Dowager then cuts off all debate. She agrees with Qi Hong's methodology and believes he will do a just job. The Emperor is clearly unhappy about this, but he cannot confront her about it openly. So, who does Qi Hong go after? 
Next thing we know is that Gu Tingye's cousins are being tied up and rounded up for questioning by Qi Hong himself. Their parents are extremely worried and agitated at this turn of events. In the evening, Gu Tingye's fourth and fifth aunts, plus their daughter-in-laws, head over to Madame Qin, Gu Tingye's stepmother, to ask for help. This Qin Da Niangzi, or Madame Qin, is quite apt at pushing any responsibility or connection to help these two women. They raise the fact that the Gu family and the Qi family are related by marriage, but Madame Qin rather calmly deflects this. She's not worried one iota for these captured young men. It's not her problem. She instead tells them, or the families, to ask Gu Tingye and promptly comes up with an excuse to ditch these aunts. Madame Xin also doesn't care right now because at the end of the day, the fourth and fifth houses are just leeches, so she's happy to push them to Gu Tingye. Elsewhere, Ming Lan asks Gu Tingye whether he will help his cousins or not. They want to be on the same page after all because if she gets pressured, she needs to know what her husband's thinking. Communication 101, everyone. He's like, he won't let them die, but he also won't let them get off easy either. See, I'm pretty sure Gu Tingye would be somewhat willing to help his relatives if only they were nice to him, even in begging him to help. Unfortunately, they pretty much do the exact opposite. Every time I watch this episode and the next episode, my blood boils with how outrageously despicable the whole lot of Gu Tingye's relatives are. They're outright shameless, and I'm really, really sorry if you listeners have relatives like Gu Tingye's relatives. First, they come in waves, okay? So the first wave is the fourth and fifth uncles try to plead for their son's case to Gu Tingye. Now they play the family card. You can't let the Gu family go to shame, blah, blah, blah. And they don't even play it well. <laughs> they quickly begin accusing Gu Tingye of not caring about the family. Gu Tingye, though, drops a nasty piece of information. He's like, do you think your sons are actually innocent? Nope. They're under investigation for women from the Jiangnan area of China. These women were procured by these cousins and then sent to various officials and generals' homes as an attempt at bribery. It's clearly written in the accounting books that there was uh, this exchange. His cousins can't escape from such crimes. They won't die, but it won't be easy to get them acquitted. Enraged, the fourth and fifth uncles then tried to appeal again to uh, Gu Tingye's pathos, saying stuff like, come on, we're all members of the Gu family, you've got to help us. Gu Tingye rightfully retorts back, oh, now you think I'm a member of the Gu family? Where was this family when you guys refused to let me see my father for the last time? That's right. Honestly, the audacity of these two uncles. You and your sons are so worthless and they got themselves into this mess. Why do you think Gu Tingye would agree to help them at all? Not with this attitude in particular. Gu Tingye just walks away, ignoring his two uncles. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand. They all know what they did to Gu Tingye, and they're just like, you know what? I'm going to come here and yell at you for forgetting about family. Uh, what family? 
Now we turn our attentions to Qi Hong. He's busy working at his study, and a woman joins him. This is his new wife, Madame Shen. We don't really know how long they've been married, but Qi Hong apparently hasn't slept in his wife's room for a month. Madame Shen, or Shen Shi, is somewhat dismayed and unhappy about this. Qi Hong is quite courteous, but that's it. Madame Shen has heard rumors that Qi Hong was enamored with a shunu from a lowly official and orders her maid to gather more information. Okay, pause. Girl, what more do you want? You have a husband who respects you and someone who doesn't randomly sleep with other women. What more could you want at this point in time? She's all pouty that Qi Hong doesn't open his heart to her. Um... You're a lovely woman, I bet you are, but what have you done to deserve it? <laughs> Let's return back to the Chung Gardens. Now it's the women's turn. The aunts and cousin-in-laws all corner Minglan to plead their case. Once again, they play the family card. They're like, if our sons are indicted and sentenced, it doesn't help Gu Tingye, yada, yada, yada. I'm rolling my eyes at this, and I'm surprised Minglan can hold it together. Before long, though, Xiao Tao comes running in to inform that Rongjie has gone missing. Right on cue, Milan rushes out and just leaves her guests. They're like, what just happened? Well, we see that this was all a fun ploy concocted by Milan. Rongjie is happily riding with her father. Seeing that Milan won't help, the aunt from the fifth house visits Qi Hong's wife, Madame Shen. It seems that they're relatives of some sort. The fifth aunt uses the excuse of a delayed wedding visit to come see Madame Shen. And of course, try to plead um, for some help with regards to her son. Unfortunately, Madame Shen does not agree to help. What's more, she um, accidentally lets slip that Xi Hong was close to Minglan so the families must keep their distance. She then also accidentally let slip that Milan was almost engaged to another family before marrying Gu Tingye. She's impressed at Milan's capabilities. The words Madame Shen uses to describe Minglan are xiao shu nu, or a little girl not born from the main wife. That is a very derogatory term, especially since Minglan is now married to a general uh, and is a proper madam. Right here, Madam Shen is implying that Minglan is a gold digger to the fifth aunt because Minglan was almost engaged and then ended up marrying the vastly more wealthy and powerful Gu Tingye. Her words are quite scathing if you think about it. What would society think of Minglan if this were true? However, this is very useful information to the fifth aunt, or so she thinks. First of all, I totally think that this meeting was so contrived, like, oh, it just happens that they're relatives. I mean, I guess it makes sense for people of that status, but whatever. I just felt like it was so convenient because the drama in the drama, these two never interact ever again. The episode ends with Madame Shen and her maid gossiping even more about Minglan. The maid has the gall to call Minglan temptress because apparently she seduced Qi Hong. 
Ah, uh, how? What? Who are these people? Minglan is a proper madam right now. What has she done to Madam Shen? Jesus, why is this Madam Shen so jealous? Like her jealousy should not be at Minglan. It should be towards her husband. It's literally her husband's fault. Ugh. I I currently do not like this Madam Shen. Well, that is it for the episode recap. But before we move on to historical analysis, let's discuss the families here. Now that we're in the thick of Gu family shenanigans, let me walk through who's who in the Gu family. The fourth house has a son called Gu Tingbing. In the book, he's only a shuzi or a son not born from the main wife, and he's a younger shuzi at that. So in the book, the fourth wife doesn't go to as much lengths to save him because, at the end of the day, he is not her son. They change that here in the drama、um, to make. The son, her legitimate son. The fifth house has a son called Gu Tingdi. In the book, he is the second Dizi of the house, or the second son born from the main wife. Each of these sons are married, respectively. So the one、uh, from the fourth house and the one from the fifth house. So that's why you'll see their wives also crying to Minglan in the episode. I don't think we see any other family members. So,、um, for the drama's sake, just remember the fourth family has a son called Gu Tingbing, and then the fifth family has a son called Gu Tingdi. Next, let's move on to the Shen family. So we don't have any details right now about who Madame Shen is. Madame Shen or Shen Hujin is the daughter of Shen Guogong. So. Her father also has the rank of a duke, which is the same title as Qi Hong's father, Qi Guogong. What this means is that Qi Hong's marriage to her is more or less of the same rank and doesn't raise any eyebrows. Let's move on to our historical analysis section. In this episode, we see that the Empress Dowager is、uh, up to some meddlesome affairs. The Empress Dowager, or Tai Ho, is just as formidable as the Tai Ho in Empresses in the Palace, or Zhen Huan Zhuan. Pretty much at this point, I feel like dramas have conditioned us to know that all Empress Dowagers have to have been pretty competent in order to get to the level of Empress Dowager. Otherwise, they would have been. Taken out before that, her real life counterpart,、uh, or Da Niangniang, or the Empress Dowager in this drama's real life counterpart is Empress Cao. Empress Cao came from a very powerful family, so her Cao family was highly regarded in court. Her father and grandfather were important figures, so when the time came, it made sense for her to marry the likes of the emperor. I definitely talk about this drama a lot when describing、um, historical folks in the story of Minglan. But in the drama *Serenade of Peaceful Joy* or *Qing Pingyue*, they do a pretty good job of showing the life of Empress Cao in depth.、Uh, the drama was actually quite infuriating because the empress was not actually that favored by the emperor Song Renzong. 
Part of the reason was because she was arranged to him as a second empress. So Renzong had a previous empress already that he then deposed using the uh, easy excuse that after several years of marriage, his then empress, Empress Guo, had no children. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to get rid of her. Part of the reason was also because she was arranged to him by his, uh, I guess, his mother, not his birth mother, but his empress dowager, which he did not like. But instead of choosing someone he wanted as his empress, political pressures dictated that he wed Miss Cao. There's conflicting reports that she was also previously wed or at least betrothed. But in any case, she married the emperor at 18 and became empress. They were of comparable ages at that time. He was not happy about that and certainly favored his concubines to her. And I did not like that about the drama at all. Why was I furious though? Because through the drama and from historical records, Empress Cao was learned, poised, and composed. She managed the imperial harem with grace and kept everything in line. She was the epitome of what a wife should be. Sadly, this did not mean she had the favor of her husband. It's not evident where the problem came from, but she never had children, despite being empress. This matches with what we see in the drama. The Empress Dowager in this drama does not have any surviving children. But as with the drama, because the empress uh, was quite intelligent and wise, she in history was actually revered as Empress Dowager and quite respected by the following emperors. History remembers Empress Cao as a rather virtuous woman. Part of the reason why she had a good relationship with the emperor following her husband's death, because in history, the boy was raised in the palace for the years the emperor, so Song Renzong, had no sons. During those years, Empress Cao was kind and thoughtful to the young man. She took time and effort to raise him and teach him many things. If you recall, in history, this guy came from the royal clan to live in the palace to one day become emperor. He did actually get sent away when the emperor had a son, but then was dragged back after the emperor's son died. Empress Cao did not treat Song Yingzong or the eventual emperor poorly at all, and thus, after her husband's death, was treated quite well in her later years. As in the drama, we see she participated in a number of political affairs to help new emperors at court. We will discuss more about this Empress Cao, or now in this case, it's Empress Dowager Cao, uh, throughout the drama. But uh, that was at least a little taster of who she was in history. Separately, I do just want to point out really quickly that in the drama, the new Empress... His last name is Shen. In history, though, her name is Gao Tao Tao. She is actually related to the Empress Dowager Cao. Gao Tao Tao, or the Empress's mother, was cousins with the Empress Dowager Cao. So you could consider Gao Tao Tao, or the Empress, a niece of the Empress Dowager. They would have had a much closer relationship than what is currently being portrayed in the drama.
again, the drama is based off of books, so they have to go off of the book rather than history. Um, but I am I am quite impressed with uh, where they managed to, I guess, tie into history. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next up. The phrase I'm going to discuss is Chui Lian Ting Zheng. This is the first time we really see the emperor and empress dowager at court together. This is an example of Chui Lian Ting Zheng, or regency behind the curtain. Typically, it would be referred to the empress, empress dowager, or great empress dowager. While due to societal norms, women were not able to address members of the court directly. Hence why there's a veil or some sort of curtain that separates the Empress Dowager in this show from the rest of court. And typically, you'll see in other dramas, if done right, that that should be the case as well. The first instance of Chui Lian Ting Zheng was during the Warring States period with Empress Dowager Xuan from the state of Qin. She is actually Mi Yue from the drama The Legend of Mi Yue, starring Sun Li. The birth year of this Empress Dowager is unknown, but she died in 265 BC. The first time the use of the words Trillian were recorded, uh, which means behind a veil, was actually in reference to the then Empress Wu Zetian during the Tang Dynasty, when she managed state affairs alongside her husband. This Empress Wu Zetian is one of the most famous women in Chinese history because she would then become the first and only female emperor of China. And again, the Tang Dynasty is the dynasty before the Song Dynasty. The first time Chui Lian Ting Zheng, this phrase was actually uh, recorded in text, was in Dongdu Shi Lue, or Events of the Eastern Capital, published in 1186 AD. The phrase is actually in reference to this Empress Dowager, or in history, the Empress Dowager Cao of the Song Dynasty. Though since we're still around, um, I think in the uh, 1060s, this phrase is used inaccurately, um, as of course, the book wasn't published until about a century later. Or maybe people just spoke of it, we just didn't have it recorded. Surprisingly, the Song Dynasty had nine women reign as regent or act um, under Chui Lian Ting Zheng, the most of any dynasty in Chinese history. The most recent regency behind the curtain was, of course, Empress Dowager Cixi of the Qing Dynasty, who effectively ruled the Qing Dynasty, or China, for uh, a combined 47 years and died in 1908. All right, enough about court and history and uh, these famous women. (laughs) Let's discuss book differences. When Mingwen met the Empress Dowager in the book, there were a lot more ladies there. The phrase that Mingwen said at the end of the scene in the drama was, I think marrying these captains is better than being someone's concubine. That phrase was spoken by a princess, actually, which in my mind is way more appropriate. I didn't like that it was Minglan who said this phrase in the drama because she's basically belittling the palace maids in front of the Empress Dowager. She's only a wife of a general, 
Um, she doesn't have that much power. If the Empress Dowager really wanted to pick a fight, she probably would have with those words. The drama also puts Qi Hong in the forefront of investigating additional ties to the deceased prince or the related coup. In the book, though, there is no mention of him being involved. All right, that is it for today. Quite a lot of things happening as we transition from home life for Minglan and Gu Tingye to matters of court. And we are introduced to a new cast of characters while also getting annoyed by Ti Hung and his new wife. We will see what befalls Gu Tingye's family in the next episode, now that they're involved with such uh, high-stake mistakes, if you will. If you haven't already, check out our website with the latest drama reviews we've done or vote for the next drama that you want us to talk about on our podcast. If you are looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the U.S., head on over to Jubao TV for a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch. You can stream it through the website Jumo, X-U-M-O, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. The music you heard is the zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bingjiu Wonyojun, played by me. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode. <laughs>